Doing, Joe. You alright? How you doing? How you doing? Good. Um, what what I'm gonna let's do that. Um, what I what what's been happening? What's been happening? What in general? Yeah. Um, not a lot. I've been I've been back in London two weeks. Um, uh, I spent most of my lockdown up north, originally from. I stopped up, but I spent it with my dad in the countryside. I thought I was going really to be up there for what, like two weeks and it ended up being close to three months. <laughs> it's, I think everyone thought this lockdown was going to be what, a couple of weeks worth. And um, yeah, it, it was. It ended up, ended up being long, a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. So you're back in London for good? Or. Yeah, yeah. So I, I live in London. I um, so I graduated drama school um, would be two years ago, and uh, since then I've stayed in London, uh, auditioning basically, working a bit. So, what is your sort of story? What what's you know you've seen the Terminator Two film where uh, Linda Hamilton goes up to Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator. She gives him a beer and says, "What's your story?" So yeah, it was your story that got you into being wanting to be a comedian and an actor. Yeah, so um, originally I um, I've been acting since I was about eleven, and I've been around that time as well. I was watching uh, a lot of stand ups. That was I had it in my head so straight that all I wanted to do is is stand up comedy, and uh, went through the sort of local theatre and then did some stuff at uh, Royal Exchange in Manchester as well. And then I had this grandiose idea that I was going to go to university and then afterwards go to drama school, which if you know what drama school is like, is that is the most insane idea that you can possibly have. Because that's like going to uni and then going to uni straight after again. Mm. So it, it, it doesn't really make any, any sense to do that. So I sort of um, left college um, and acted a bit at this point, but not a lot, and went to uh, Newcastle University, um, spent three months there doing philosophy and then this had this big epiphany that I shouldn't be doing this and I should be uh, trying for drama school. So I uh, moved back to Manchester and then spent the next year and then the year after that you do it in sort of rounds auditioning and uh, yeah I got in the second year into a place called Artshead in West London and then came down for drama school so I had three years in um, in drama school and then graduated a couple of years ago signed to an agent and then I've, I've done a, a few jobs acting jobs since and then alongside that um did i've done stand-up comedy gigs and the thing that sort of takes up a lot of my time other than acting is uh is selku's show which is the online sketch comedy show i run with uh two of my mates james gladden and calm Golden. yeah but what so what is how does it so i got two questions i want to ask yeah what i mean philosophy all i just think of is i just think of philosophers saying 
wise quotes and that's it and it's obviously more than that and with acting I mean I've always been curious of acting because you get people like Tom Hardy or you get like people in kiddohood or whatever maybe not doing necessarily drama degrees and then you get people that are just doing drama courses and then they get into big Hollywood acting roles and then you get people that go to university and they're working in the bars watching them yeah so it's, it's really varied it's one of the only um, professions I think that um, and I'm, I, I'm very interested in comedy acting and that's sort of the main field I do but acting in general it's it's not like if you were a musician and um, if you train to be a musician and then at the end of it you're clearly a very excellent musician you can't have no experience of music lessons and then suddenly be uh, amazing at it. But with acting, a lot of the time that can happen where someone can have either a raw talent or a raw ability and drama school is an option, acting classes are an option, but it, quite often people having a, a level of ability basically just from their own personality and who they are as a person. Uh, and then that can be honed and that can be trained and, and to make sure you're doing the technical stuff right. But so a lot of the time, drama school is, is one option. It's not the only option or acting lessons or whatever it might be. How does it work with the, I mean, one thing, I mean, with acting, perhaps singing, how does it work with getting spotted? Because it's, there's so many people that want to do it. And how, how, I mean, all, I mean, for people outside of it, you just think, oh, they just suddenly throw their shit at the wall and then eventually some of it sticks and bush bosh, they get famous. So, I mean, obviously, I can speak for me personally, but I, also, I know uh, slightly other stories, I suppose. But uh, for me, it took me to go to drama school and then a lot of drama school in your third year is uh, sort of the idea of it is to get you seen by agents and seen by uh, casting directors and people within the industry. So in that sense, drama school does give you a real step up um, in terms of being seen by people in London in particular, which I would never have had the chance uh, up north. Um, otherwise, it can be a bit of a slog and it can be emailing people, sending letters to people, uh, trying to get signed by agents. And then once you're signed by an agent, that's just a step in the process. The next thing you need to do is, um, is, to, start, is to start auditioning, which is then a more competitive field. How do you how do you go and like get an agent? You send them your CV, your acting this and that. Say, listen here, Sonny Jim. My name is Joe. I am Buff. You should put me on your records, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I sent out when I did it. You've been reading my emails again. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> um, no, so this you always meant to have what's called a, a show reel, which is. Um, uh, it's scenes from different things you might have done, like sort of condensed into a two minute fashion. And uh, it means that they get a sense and a flavor of the type of actor and the type of roles that you might be able to play. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one thing that you can have. Also, there's a website called Spotlight, um, which is like LinkedIn for actors. So everyone has their acting CVs on there and headshots. Uh, that's what casting directors tend to use uh, when they're looking for actors, um, but with getting signed to agents, a lot of it's just is, is emailing the right agent at the right time with the right thing. So, if you've got something to offer, like you've got a play coming up, 
you might send an email out to 20, 30 agents inviting them uh, and you might get a response because what that agent at one time is uh, looking for a, a Northern Ginger actor and they, they might come, they might think you're brilliant and then just those two things, what they need and what you need aligns at the same time. But a lot of the time it's, it's, it's an incredibly, much like comedy, it's an incredibly oversaturated field. Like it doesn't take much, uh, it doesn't require much for someone to want to be a comedian or an actor. Um, all it takes is you to start doing gigs or start doing writing your own stuff or like mm. it, it's not the um, sort of the entry requirements aren't exactly high because anyone rightly should be able to do it. Yeah, it is. How so? I mean, I find it interesting because it's comedy's got a lot of mix. You've got people from performers backgrounds coming and sometimes you get street performers, circus performers, but a big, a lot of comedians come in two categories they they're either sort of singers and actors getting into it mm. or they're people that aren't in performing arts and then they go and end up in stand-up yeah so i know there's a lot of comedians that come into it um they sort of like ramesh ranganathan was well, a mass teacher was he and um i think john bishop got into it quite late uh it, these people that have probably been quite naturally funny their entire life but for comedy is not, not in their head being seen as a, a viable option. And then you might get to a certain age where you go, well, isn't it worth just pursuing because we see what happens. And it turns out whether it's their life experience or who they are uh, at that point in time that works, but it does work. And then the other, other way is, uh, I don't know, like I think Jack Whitehall started presenting when he was something like 16 or 17. And he did um, Big Brother's Big Mouth or Little Brother Big Mouth or whatever, whichever one it was. But he, he then started from a very early age and his sort of experience has come from the last... He's, and he's not even that old now and he must have been on TV 10 years at least. Yeah. He's, no, but his dad was also an, an agent. And... Yeah, yeah, I know. He got his, um, his step up because of his dad, I imagine. But you, I don't think you can argue... He, he works hard, whether he's not particularly my type of humour, but uh, he obviously works well enough and hard enough for, to get an audience. I suppose that, that step up gives you something, but it's not everything, is it? Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, I, you can't hate on him because he's done well. Hey, good, good for him. It's, yeah, well done for him. But yeah, he's not mine either, really. He's it's too mild for me. He's not interesting. Yeah. He's quite prepared, some of his... Um, I always just feel like I know one being told a joke you know from him mm. it's yeah it's just no, uh, yeah and he's an actor too i just find it funny when people had one thing i find this is a thought from someone that's not done not really an actor or anything like that i always thought that if someone does acting and comedy it can be a bit of a distraction because yeah. if you don't decide which one you want to focus on, you, you, you put too many sort of... <laughs> and you're not sort yeah. of... The, um, uh, likewise with, um, with writing as well, because I, I tend to write quite a lot, or I, I write sketches and monologues and things like that. And it is... I'm not sure if it's a distraction, but it's, it's a... It's, it, I imagine it's a lot easier to go, if I'm just an actor, I'm just this one thing, and you throw all your effort behind it. Uh, 
but I find that if you improve one, then it can improve the other as well. I think the experience I've got now with acting and the training I've got with acting will make me a better comedian and how I present myself, how I speak. Um, I still have to deal, uh, three years of drama school and I still have to deal with reminding myself to slow down quite a lot because that's, that's my, um, my sort of habit is to, even if I get nervous or if I feel like I'm presenting something then there's just something inside me that instantly speeds up. Um, but with, with learning that, you, you know that of yourself and when, if I came back on stage as a comedian, I'd be able to adapt it because of the acting training. Yeah, I mean, yes, that is true to an extent. I, but I also feel, um, yeah, I mean, if I got an opportunity for, to act in anything, I wouldn't refuse it. But I'd also, but I'd, I'd say that I'm always a comedian. Then there's the focus there. But I would never sort of refuse an opportunity that's given to me. Because... Well, I think if you're able to do comedy, and I think if you talk to a lot of actors about stand-up comedy, that frightens them more than anything that they've done uh, on stage before. Because when you're on stage, it is, um, you have the, the mask or the, the safety blanket of these aren't your words. Mm. This is not a character that you came up with. Um, you've not directed this yourself, you know. If it's rubbish, there might be slack, there's, there's six or seven elements why it might not be good. Whereas if, you know, if in stand-up, that it, this is you directing it, this is you writing it, this is you performing it. So it's not like you can walk off stage and, and potentially blame someone else. This is all your work, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing because the reason I asked that question is I've come across a few people that are examples of that. And that's because I went to Philip Gaulier and it was a clown school and a few of them, like they say that they're comedians and, and they're actors. But I've seen that they're not very motivated and so that's that's where it sort of came to me thinking, hmm, you know, I had a thought there. If someone's too trying to say that they're in this and that, then it's a bit. I think that's what helps with. Um, I think I've slightly changed my tact in the last um, year or so, which is, if I'm acting, is comedy acting tends to be uh, a lot of a lot of what I do, the stuff that I make. Uh, with with Sal Q show and sometimes alone, uh, that's that's comedy acting. Whereas I've now changed tack because at first I was like, okay, I'll do stand up, and then I'll also do acting at the same time. And as you know, like stand up is extremely demanding, takes so much of your time up. If you want to be gigging, you want to be gigging some like a few times a week in some certain circumstances. So to do that on top of acting, which is uh, if you're doing like an audition a week, that's really good. But you're also having to prep for auditions. You may be looking for directors that you can contact. It that's a full-time job in itself. So I do understand what you're saying. If you like that diffused attention, um, but I think I've I've tried to be a bit more savvy with it, being like, okay, if I'm wanting to stay within comedy, stick more to comedy acting rather than straight stand-up. Yes. Yeah. That's 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 what I was getting. At. Yeah. It's, I mean, I'm, I also may be wrong in that situation. It's just that I've, I've seen examples of that. Like, you know, we, we get assumptions of things. We see as we get older, we, we watch certain people from a certain type of character or certain type of 
or they they say they do this and that and then you you sort of say oh you pick you, your brain's a pattern picker yeah um it's yeah and some of the people that i saw that said that they want to be acting comedians they didn't really put any work in they just sort of pissed about a lot mm. but yeah Bloody up! That's a lovely little. Is that is that a vision board you've got behind you? Oh, that is. Uh, no, I, t I take photos as well, and um, that's there are actually some older photos that I've got from a, from a couple of years ago. But uh, they I tend to match the colours up together. Mm. It's sort of it, when I was wanting to shoot stuff. Um, so we, because obviously we we film stuff ourselves for our sketches. Um, you sort of need to get your head around a DSLR a little bit. So I got one a few years ago and just started taking pictures. Weirdly enough, there was, um, I took a, I took a photo of a friend uh, that I used to live with about a year ago and he was just passed out on a sofa and, um, I put it on my Instagram and one thing sort of led to another and a friend of a friend got in contact with me. And originally I'd taken this photo as a joke because this photo, it looks a little bit like uh, sort of one of those Renaissance paintings where someone's like leant backwards and like almost fainted, something like that. And it's quite, quite dramatic. Um, but I'd, I'd taken this photo as a joke uh, and I got contacted for a friend of a friend seeing if I'd wanted to um, uh, display this picture in their, in their gallery opening uh, in, in Old Street Gallery. So I, uh, after having virtually, I don't really have any experience with photography. I, I got chosen to do this night and it was like a graduate um, photographer's showcase. So uh, along with all these very, very talented photographers, I'd managed to wing my way into uh, <laughs> um, this, this gallery where my picture was on the wall and uh, everyone was now treating me like an artist when I, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah so we, we really played up to it we we gave it a very pretentious title and um yeah i had to write a bio which was just bullshit really it, it had nothing it had no substance whatsoever in it <laughs> and one yeah that's the <laughs> you must have quite a few stories like being an actor and like from where you're from and like um you, what's been the most invigorating story you've had by pursuing a career in the performing arts? Um, I think the the last few years, especially after graduating, I uh, I did I did two TV jobs last year. One of which was for um, a show called Wild Bill that was on ITV, and uh, I did one which is coming out in a couple of weeks' time called Cursed, which is on Netflix. And the the second one of them, I think I only spent a few days on that show. I'm like a a small part in in one episode, and throughout the whole thing, it was just mind-boggling the scale of it, the professionalism of these people. Um, on some of the days on on that uh, set, there was two two hundred three hundred people all and. Um, I had, to, I had to ride horses for it. It was, I had to wear a wig. It's like proper fantasy based. Um, I was blown away. I was, I was pretty much so excited for every day I was filming 
that I didn't really sleep the night before. So I, I was turning up in this amazing set uh, with wonderful actors, a director, which I quite admire. And I, there's, there's not other instances in my life where I felt like I was truly, I was, I was living what, what was like a dream to me. Um, something I've, I've wanted to do for my entire life. And even though, you know, it's a few days on this set doing a, a smallish part, but nothing beats that. That's why you sort of work towards it and work towards it. And I think actors have this like, it's like, it was, it was the right for it's self-flagellation where you know, the, the whipping on your back. Like, yeah, it's, it's some actors put themselves through so much and we have to like we have to work alongside acting. It's very rare that an actor can just work from acting alone, um, and it's all film moments like that mm. moments where you get to live that dream. And it's not really about, and I, I don't want it to come across this way. It's not really about stroking my own ego, feeling like oh, I was I was on a big set, and it wasn't like that. I was genuinely in in awe the entire time I was there, and it was like. I was a little bit starstruck at times. Then I had to remember that I was there to do a job and I have to, as much as it's amazing being on that set, you have to act at the end of the day as well and do what you were, you were sort of getting paid to do. Mm. That's, did you get a five star treatment? Did they give you foot massages? What's it called? <laughs> a lot of shots behind the bar, McDonald's. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, you, um, there's in on film sets and on TV sets. There's a there's a numbered system for the, for the cast, and um, so like the the main star will be number one, and you know my character was something like 128. But as long as you as long as you're um, considered principal cast, you do get some of that treatment, which you're like you might get someone picking you up from your house or. Oh. Yeah, um, a runner asking you what you want for breakfast, and I'm, I'm, I get so I get a bit awkward by it because you never, when in your life, if you have anyone hand on your waiting foot like that for a day, uh, so it did. It's something to get used to, but then again, I imagine you can get used to it just so easily and just start snapping your fingers, asking where your one pump mocha latte is. Yeah, I mean, with, with big name actors, I mean, how do they remain humble getting all of that? How do they not be a dickhead if they keep getting treated like and focus on the work? How do they, you know, if you're, if you're being treated like a king all the time, yeah, uh, how do they remain grounded and motivated to do the work? That's the thing. I think you can stay motivated because the, the treatment, all you're looking for is like that next exciting part or like next next project that you really want to work on in terms of the treatment like i actually don't know because i it must get to people's heads so quickly like i was blown away by it in the few days that i did on this job as a as a small part and then by the fourth day when i had to share a car with someone i was like what i have to share i have to share this car with someone i have to share, <laughs> I have to share a chauffeur driven car oh my god my agent's gonna hear about this and uh, yeah, it's uh, the bigger stars. Obviously, they get any time the principal cast. The principal cast all gets the same treatment. You, you you might get a place in the trailer or your food served to you or something like that. It feels it feels too much, and it feels like at the moment it still makes me feel more uncomfortable than comfortable. 
when the whole idea is it is to make you feel as comfortable as possible, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, I, th I think it's too much. I think, like, I think because it's like with football, they say that with a lot of footballers, when they were before, they used to get the younger footballers to clean the boots of the older players. Yeah, and that might be something that might be needed because it's better to be have that. You have to earn, really, really earn the the good shit. And I think yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, you don't know what goes on behind the scenes at that level. It's it's there's all sorts of skullduggery. There's all sorts of rewards they get. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, well, what? It's funny though, like when you when you see stars and movie stars, they give a big clap if someone like Michael Jackson or some of these big millionaires, or actors and singers, donate to charity. It's not really a big thing because they got loads of money. So like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, the the money aspect is then you're getting paid a lot of the time for a day's work, two days work, especially something like commercials where. Um, and like, I'm not, I'm not berating actors at all because acting is just, it, for 99% of actors, acting is incredibly hard work, an incredible graft. Um, at the end of it, you know, 99% of actors you won't know the name of. There's only 1% of actors that get public and uh, sort of um, become famous like that. But the, some of the money that you can earn at the more the top end for you know a day's work half an hour's work uh for a bit of voiceover is is incredible yeah it is, it is really really inc incredible but then again you might not work for six months after that mm. it's yeah it's it's it is something i mean they, i mean they, they've got no problem the corona stuff they're still living quite well in their little mansions watching netflix doing <laughs> well it was the gal gadot video wasn't it the Imagine, ah. yeah, the well, the celebrities getting together and singing "Imagine All the People" from their mansions. Uh, you just hope if you ever got to that level, uh, and I don't, I don't really think it's ever that's going to ever happen. But that you still have some sense of self and sense of, I don't know, you that this is this what you where you live and what you do is not exactly it's not real. It's not real world stuff. Hmm. Um, I don't know how you compensate that because everyone wants to everyone wants to enjoy their life, don't they? It doesn't like you have to, I'm not saying if you earn good money, you still need to live in a tiny apartment. That's not necessarily what I'm saying, but um, I think there's a way in which you can, you can conduct yourself. I think people just don't like any sense of um, celebrities when they're like, we're like you, we're just like you, but rich. Yeah, it's 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 funny. I, I, one thing I find funny, uh, do you know Demi Lovato, that singer? Yeah. I mean, she's super famous and she's done a lot of good stuff, like bullying and depression and all that. But the thing is, she had a big drug overdose a few years ago. Right. The thing is, she's not really made much of a change. She's still around the same sort of people and she's probably still taking it. It's, yeah. It's, uh, I think it's that level of stardom and like you say the, like the treatment imagine <clears throat> i've been watching the, um, the last dance with michael jordan and how he was treated in every single room that he went in it doesn't matter where he was it 
it was it was insane to see how people bent over backwards for him and treated him differently. Because imagine not knowing or not feeling like anyone is being truthful with you. Because everyone wants to make, be your friend because you're Michael Jordan. Yeah, it's it's because one thing that was funny is I, I watched an interview of Kobe Bryant, and he said that people called him Black Jesus. It's insane. That level of, I think I've always been um, a bit suspect of, of that level of fandom of, of anyone in particular. Mm. Because we're, we're human and we're fallible and we make mistakes. And to idolise someone like that, like, I don't know. I, I, you, you're setting yourself up for that to be ruined at some point. And one thing I think, people were making fun of Conor McGregor and saying that he's this and he's that. Maybe you don't like him as well, but this is my view of him. Um, you don't know what he's going through because he's reached a massive load of stardom in a few years. And like he must, there must be a lot of nasty shit that he gets behind the scenes. Lots of, because he's so big, so famous, and he's got so much success, he must get a lot of shit. Yeah. And it's a, it's a strange one because you... I imagine as a celebrity like that, you don't, you don't ask for that level of fame, do you? You just do your job. Like all Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant were, was excellent at their job and excellent basketball players. With that, they were, ne they were never necessarily asking for the stardom that come with it or the, the fame or the, the sort of response from the public every time they come. They, that's not just for being good at basketball. It's an odd thing to, um, that sort of compiled onto that into your life. It's yeah, it's yeah, it's it's. I mean, unless they've got a firm base of people that are around them from the beginning to the end, and that's that's the only way. But it's, I don't know. It, It'll be, I, I, God knows, if someone did a documentary on what, what, what goes on really behind the scenes rather than this sort of fake nice people that celebrities put on on the top yeah. level, God, I bet it's harrowing. I bet you've got some sort of Colombian cartel chatting to Beyonce, no less, and saying, listen, if you want to do your video, sweetheart, take a bit of hash, take a bit of sniff. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying she is, but I'm saying you don't, I'm pretty sure there's so much sort of murky and really iffy things going on. Yeah, because you, you have the presentation level, don't you? You have the, what we, what we like to see, what's given to us and presented to us in terms of albums and performances and that sort of thing. Um, but I know, I know even from just working with certain actors that their public perception and who people think they are is very, very different to who they are one-on-one. -on -one. And um, that, yeah, that's that's been extremely telling, I suppose. It must annoy the shit out of you, though, if you're Amelia Clark or if you're someone famous. You're just like walking in a park, or if you're just getting some food in a grocery store, this and that, and then you get known. You don't get any time to yourself. You get someone say, "Oh, could I get an autograph? Or oh, could I get this?" I, su I suppose it is a risk of the. Um, what's the right word? It's. Uh, uh, occupational hazard isn't it where it, it becomes part of it and it's people think well if you're getting all those benefits and you you sort of lose your own humanity and you lose that sense 
Like, I'd, even if seeing famous people, if I, it's very rare that I get pictures with famous people now because I, I sort of, if I try and put myself in their shoes, even it's like it's, it's only for you, isn't it? It's only for you to go to show to someone else. I had that, or to post it online or something. Maybe if you if you have a genuine interaction with someone, I'd, I always think that's worth a little bit more a conversation with someone rather than um, a photo. I always I think you personally, if it's for you, you personally will remember that better than a photo. Because I've looked at photos I've, I've had with people before, and I go, it just it means nothing other than the fact that it confirms that I actually met them. Mm. They're not going to get in contact with you again. It's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who was that guy I had a photo with outside McDonald's? <laughs> it's um, but it. I mean, I, I, I don't know what to do with a lot of famous people sometimes. I've met a few of them and I, I've always behaved weird or strange with them. Yeah. You can't help get there's a little bit of nervousness. Like, you just, I suppose you want to be liked, don't you? That's, that's the main thing. You want to, you want to, you want to feel like, oh, this is, this is someone who's slightly different than the rest of them. And yeah. everyone has that same, um, probably, idea. It makes people do weird things to celebrities. It's well. It's a bit. I mean, imagine the. Yeah, I feel in in terms of like celebrity. If you're female, like Beyonce or like someone like that. I mean, even the lower ends in comedy and what like acting, they must get all sorts of creepy shit going on. But then when you're at that sort of level, you got millions of weird men DMing you. Yeah. And if you're Lady Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or if you're Brad Pitt or Justin Timberlake, you must get all sorts of weird messages as well. Like you probably got. Gary the cowboy, 70 years old, Joe Exotic, dropping you a few DMs here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you, that's, I mean, you're like tying yourself up in knots, like you respond to the, a person in the wrong way, that's suddenly public and that's your rep, rep, uh, reputation, you know, gone down the pan. All it takes is someone to screenshot a response after you've got angry and you've responded to someone who's been berating you. Yeah. And they, and the public then doesn't see, maybe they don't see the, past month of them having a go at you but they see you kicking off in yeah. one message and um yeah that's that's it for you isn't it yeah it's 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 crazy i mean i say one thing i think with the coronavirus some people are saying that there's going to be a second wave and there's others saying that things are going to be okay in a while which side of the fence do you sit on um i think there's going to be a second wave it might not has come um, in the shape and form of the first one, like all of us are going to get locked down. I think like what we've just seen happen in Leicester, uh, I think there might be localised outbreaks. And then what I'm surprised about is London seems to have gone down quite a lot and then just sort of stayed there. Um, you would have thought after everyone sort of relaxed there, People are sort of taking it upon themselves now, aren't they, to decide what those restrictions are. Um, I think, what was it, like a couple months ago where everyone took the government's word uh, and we were just so willing to listen to it. And I think that's probably after the Cummins st scandal that everyone feels like, well, if one person can do that, then we can probably take it into our own hands and decide what is, what's best for us. So yeah, long story short, I do I do think it's gonna be a second wave, but maybe not in the same style. 
is um is it has been do you, do you think um celebrities are going to change as a result i mean most of us are all going to change but do you think the way celebrities are going to interact with their fans or do you think what do you think it's going to like acting sets and um you you want to think that don't you i think you want you want to think that this whole thing's had this profound change on us I'm probably a little bit more skeptical about that because I think I think we've had our profound change. We've had our three months of remembering what's important and appreciating our family and saying because there was during that time the last person that you wanted to see complain was a celebrity. Um, but I think all those things is unfortunately going to recover and it's probably going to go back to the very similar, if not the exact same. Um, as what it was, even though I would, I would love it for, to be different. I'd love there to be some sort of shift in how we see people and um, what we value. But you can feel it, can't you? You can feel that people are so bored of the current circumstances that they just want some return to more normality. I couldn't get over um, the, the protests. I mean, I'm surprised that it hasn't really resulted in a massive spike in London already when you've got th hundreds and thousands of people from the right and the BLM, you know, doing their thing. Because surely people are touching each other and this and that. Surely that... They... The, um, the protesting that I was in Manchester at the time, it's the protests, and um, it was honestly, it was a heavy debate in my head because I knew, when I was new, I was coming back to London. And uh, two, I was with my mum at the time as well. And was, they, all the posts about um, the BLM march were saying socially distanced, uh, was going to be uh, respectful. And, I, and I, was, I really, really wanted to believe that you're going to be able to socially distance in, in this Manchester protest. And um, for the sake of my mum, I decided not to, decided not to go. And I decided it, it, it's a hard decision as much as I stand with it if I decided I, I couldn't I couldn't go and um, when I was looking at the images there was nobody socially distancing it was it was almost impossible where it is in Piccadilly Gardens in Manchester you have people two foot in front of you there was no there was no chance you're going to get that two meter distance um, it threw up the whole thing threw up this incredibly challenging dilemma isn't it whether you by supporting an anti-racism movement, you could be putting certain people at risk. Is like you should never ever have to choose between those things, should you? you? The safety of your family and supporting what's right should be completely separate. It's just it's incredibly unfortunate timing, really. It's I'm I mean, maybe it's be maybe because the thing has been so poorly managed. Maybe the spike's not been so good. Maybe mo 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 most of us have already had it. <laughs> Without knowing. Yeah, I think in it definitely was here um, before it was reported on. That's that's what I, I believe because flights were not stopped out of of Wuhan, and um, the chances that it was spreading within our country before we sort of caught up to the number of cases that were being reported, like across Asia, then Europe, and then into into the UK. Um, I think my, my mum seems to think that she might have had it um, months ago anyway. Uh, but obviously we can't be sure because there's no tests about. 
I know I was really ill at the start of the year, so I don't know whether it's that confirmation bias where you go in, okay, I remember being ill. Um, yeah, maybe my cough was a bit dry and that, but it's hard actually to confirm how you were mm. feeling or are we just putting this um, notion that we've, we've built up back onto what, what we've seen? Yeah, who knows? It's. I think. I think things will. People are saying that things are going to get back to normal next year, and that's. My thought, and, and I mean, stand up is an, another example, and theatre in general is um, is really, really at risk, and it's such a shame because I think it's such a. Some somewhat underappreciated industry, theatre and, and, and live theatre, including stand-up comedy. Um, and it would be sad that if it doesn't, because at the moment there's, there's next to no support for theatre. And um, if you look at how much arts in general bring in for revenue um, for, for the UK, um, I think there's a lot of, I think people see arts as the first thing that can possibly go unfortunately it's not how i feel but it's um if anything when when shit hits the fan what's the thing that we could do without straight away and uh hopefully over lockdown with what people have watched and how much people miss going out and stuff that there's maybe a slight more appreciation of the arts in general because hmm. what you're doing in lockdown you were <laughs> watching tv most of it <laughs> Did you see the Tiger King? <laughs> I did, yeah. I did. I watched... I think I watched it all. If it, it, some points, though, it felt... I don't know. if it. There was so much happening at, in, at one point in certain, certain episodes. That I, I don't know if I, I lost um, some connection to it or some... I don't know. It, it felt like you were watching something you shouldn't for a while with, with what's with some of these um, personalities that were in it. I just started feeling sorry. Was, I don't think enough was made of the animals that were involved in it either. Yeah. The it, I know they came back to, right at the end. They come back to it and say, to, you know, I think Joe Exotic speaks about whether he mistreated to was it orangutans or something because he kept them in separate cages. And I think they sort of missed the trick because even the cages that maybe I know it's a rescue that um, um, the woman I forgot her name, but the woman who kept sort of the rival. Yeah. Um, all of it seemed wrong to take any animal away from the mm. habitat for to live in a small box like that. I think maybe that's what I felt uncomfortable with throughout the whole series of like. It's sort of just the series accepted that, that these things happen in America and then it was focused on these personalities. I couldn't get over the fact that there's more tigers in, in exotic yeah. tigers in America than there is across the world. That's, I mean, I think that's the, that's the thing I was trying to get at. Like, I just, I found that sad enough to not really empathize with anyone. I know everyone had these connections with these wild animals. But I was like, let's just leave them alone. It's just, we don't, to, to do what they, because it ended up being animal abuse, a lot of it. Even the, the people that were saying that they were really looking after the animals, it, it still felt 
wrong in so many senses. They they're all very crooky, and they're all they're all like what like Doc Antil. Yeah. What was he doing? Getting women getting the boob jobs or something, and then the what's it called? Carol Baskin. I mean, it was quite yeah, lovely. Yeah. Her and her husband, and she came across as a nice lady, and then. Joe Exotic, like marrying two men who were straight, and they—it's just that they wanted meth. So he said, "Right, if you let me have six of you, you get meth." It's a bit like I don't know what to say about that. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously Louis Through um, met him in a documentary, didn't he? Way, way prior. And uh, but yeah, I said, "You know, I think, I think Last Dance was." my series of choice over that lockdown period. I absolutely love that. Mm. What was the bit where they had Kobe in it? Because I've watched bits and pieces of it, but I've not seen all of it. I think they interviewed him because I think Kobe's reign as like the number one came slightly after um, Michael Jordan's time at the Bulls after he finished in 96. Um, or after, after his time at the Bulls was finished in 96. But I think they interviewed Kobe, obviously, before before his death. And, yeah, I think there was there was a section, but they didn't make too much of the fact they were interviewing Kobe Bryant and Kobe Bryant's now dead. They just threw this interview in and it, it, it worked really well. Hmm. He is, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of both of them. I like them a lot. I mean, I don't know what to say about Kobe and his mistreat what, that incident in the hotel. Not really looked into it. Mm. Well, that's what I mean. Is that if you call yourself, well, sorry, if people start calling anyone Jesus in some sense, like that's a figure that's in people's eyes perfect. And then humans that live and do stuff now, we're, we're all full of flaws. I don't I, like. I again. I don't know what happened. But if he has done something wrong, then it sort of makes idolizing people like that really dangerous. Yes, because then even if they do something wrong, you're still like Jonestown. Did you hear about Jonestown? Like he, weird Christian group in like South America, and you got them all to kill themselves. Yeah, yeah. There was a, there's another Netflix Wild Wild Country or something like that, which is on Netflix, uh, which about. There's a there's a meditation leader that brings about this seemingly peaceful uh, group uh, who want to live by themselves in you know wilderness of America, and um, they end up you know killing in the name of him, and it all gets very very mad. I suppose these things start. These seem to always be. Oh no, this is not a cult. It's not a cult. It's just a collection of people, like-minded people, and then someone always gets end up getting murdered. <laughs> I wonder how. Wonder when they're going to do it in self-help things then, because Tony Robbins seems like a cult, and a lot of them yeah. seem like cults. That's true. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's. Yeah, there's a. It, we live in a fucked up world, eh? <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's been. Um, We've gotten to some very deep topics there. We've spoken about a lot of things like behind the camera and mm. behind the, mostly behind the camera, what may be going in people's minds. And yeah. one of the things that I would like to ask you, um, yeah, drop me, drop me the message of your, um, your um, sketch show so I can promote it. 
and also what 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 I'd normally do at the end of the podcast is I want to get to know the person and I want to there's there's a two questions that I normally ask that really reveal what the person's like and one of those questions I well you find out what 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 their ambitions are what they want to do and one of the questions is what advice would you give to your younger self okay so well the first question is what what ambitions do I have no, what, what, um, what advice would you give to your younger self? Right, okay. Uh, the advice that I would give to my younger self is, as quick as possible, drop the ego. Drop the sense that you, you need to be the best or you need to do, yeah, maybe, maybe that's the right word. You need to be the, the top actor or you need to, you need to do the most uh challenging parts the thing that i would tell myself is then just drop any any sense of of that because the quicker you drop it and you accept yourself who you are and the parts you're going to play the more enjoyment you're going to get from the simplest of stuff the smaller stuff there was like a really really defining moment in my in my training where in third year when you know you do your big public plays for the first time I got cast as two quite smallish parts. And at the time I, was, I got the, the casting as I was on a plane heading to Krakow for my brother's stag do, right? And um, it was going to be either, yeah, amazing, I've got this great part and I'm fly off and enjoy my weekend. And I got, and I got the casting and I, I remember just feeling like, like so depleted, so down about the whole thing. Um, and until I got into the rehearsals and I worked with this director who I still to this day think is the uh, a woman called Zoe Waterman, who I think is the best director I've worked with. And we created this world around the play. And suddenly these two small characters were like incredible and they were amazing to me. And I loved them and I love performing them. And I think stage time over close to a two hour play, I probably only had 10 minutes, something like that max. But, the amount I enjoy playing those characters um, just stays with me. And I never thought to myself with those, it was like half a page of monologue and then two, like another character that had a few lines. Um, that, that really taught me that it doesn't have to be the biggest part to, for you personally to enjoy it most. Um, but yeah, that's a roundabout way of saying just drop the sense of that you need to be the, the main character all the time, the number one. And what would you say is a quote that you'd like to live by? Uh, if you can make them laugh, you can make them listen. That's something that I thought for a long time because you, I think a very good example of this is someone like uh, John Oliver, who combines comedy with journalism and sort of like pretty much educating people at times about quite complicated issues. Um, I also like the idea of using comedy for a social good and being able to talk about stuff. It is as a sort of like a vehicle of being talking about stuff, which is quite difficult to just have conversations about. What was that? <laughs> that is, um, a family chat asking if we're doing a quiz this week. So I'm going to mute that. <laughs> <laughs> and what, um, 
what would you say is the hardest what would you say is the hardest thing about being in the performance industry that needs to change that needs to change well there's, there's a big push at the moment which is um getting a no uh because what happens i'd say 70 percent of the auditions maybe even more i'll go to them and i won't hear anything back so you, you won't hear anything back whatsoever and all that the industry is asking for at the moment is is uh just a no you know what i mean just just something that tells you that you are um you're that you can move on with your life and then the, the other obvious thing is which is still in sort of in development is um with the di diversity within not just cast roles but crew roles uh, within theatre um there's been like such such a good step or such major steps being made in the last few years but i think there's a lot it seems to like there'd be a lot more to do like you can think the progress is good but when you look at how many people from minorities are still not working within this industry um i think what happens is a lot of noise is made about small successes which is good but um there's still a lot of still a lot that needs to be done mm. Yeah, but also at the same time, rather than just doing a tick box, people that are good. Yeah, that's, um, that's something that I was quite interested in with uh, female comedians that were going on things like Mot the Week and Q uh, maybe not QI so much, but uh, some of the big sort of panel shows in this country. And he was saying that um, the, uh, a woman going on there and being the token woman uh, is quite difficult because what they seem to find is men will quite often uh, either interrupt them or finish their jokes for them. And like, it, it then becomes difficult if you're the token woman to perform to maybe the ability that you know you can when you're having things that undermine your performance constantly. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's true. And, and one last question is um where where can people reach you and like if they want to find out more about your work yeah so uh the main thing that we obviously we're working towards um so we selkuth show so at selkuth show selkuth spelled s-e-l-c-o-u-t-h show uh we have twitter facebook um instagram uh you find us on youtube and no, we don't tend to use that too much um uh, me personally i'm i'm joe cook and uh you can find find me at joe wook so j-o-e-w-o-o-k instagram twitter facebook whatever you, whatever you want really okay well thank you very much for coming on the podcast yeah. and i will hopefully i'll see you when things are all better thank yeah you. nice talking to you mate see you